Welcome to Bioinnovator Spotlight at Life Science Org, where we listen to the life science leaders of tomorrow tell their story and discuss their challenges as founders and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, scientist-turned-communicator, Dr. David Kirk. Let's meet today's founder. I'm joined this week by Arseni Zabirnik, an alumnus of Spark Norway, project leader of Kalinhib, based at the University of Oslo and Oslo University Hospital. Arseni, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Please, Arseni, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into life science. Um, I, uh, I was interested in uh, different fields when I was uh, in school, and I had a brother who was very good in math. So my family thought that maybe I'm good in math too. So I, I was in physical mathematical lyceum mm. for a while. Uh, and there I figured out that math is not my field. Uh, and I do like chemistry and biology. Uh, and I, that was a very good school where they encouraged uh, the scientific thrive of the people. Mm. So I, I started to do biology. I started to visit Olympiads, uh, tournaments. Uh, and uh, naturally, I became a biologist uh, after high education. Um, I was interested in basic research, but uh, the more and more I, I progressed in, in my career, I understood that the thing which drives me most is to, to try to find something that would be relevant for people or patients mm -hmm. from the basic knowledge that we have discovered. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about how you went from academia then to uh, leading this project? And, and again, like that, I think turning from basic research to this more directed application driven research and also your journey from Ukraine to uh, Oslo, because that's a that's a fair journey. Yeah. So uh, starting from the second question, uh, we we had a. Um, uh, we had a collaborative project uh, when we investigated a uh, mesenchymal stem cell and, uh -huh. and their application. And then we also investigated uh, uh, lamino such diseases, laminopathies. And uh, we had a collaboration with um, Oslo University. Uh, so I came here as a guest researcher. And then uh, I applied uh, for Marie Curie Fellowship uh, as a postdoc and got it. So that's uh, how my journey in Oslo started. And here it was a completely new field. It was cardiovascular field, which yeah. I never worked before. Uh, it, it was a field of aortic valve calcification. Mm. It, it, uh, for those who don't know that, that, uh, that there is a valve between the heart and aorta, which prevents blood going back to heart when it's relaxed. Uh, and this valve gets stiff, calcified, and doesn't penetrate blood, in usually in aglory. And um, there is no treatment for that except for surgery and replacing the valve. Mm. That was very new for me. Uh, so I, I, I dived in, uh, and in, in this, and, and we, we, we've done several basic um, uh, findings in here. So I thought, it would be very interesting to try to find something to stop this yeah. disease. And since I'm cell and molecular, molecular biology by training, mm. um, I developed a model uh, 
which allowed us to find uh, a pharmacological inhibition way to stop our well stenosis and calcification development. And I'm still in academia. So you, you ask how, how do I transfer from academia to... That's right. I mean, the, uh, the Kalanhib project is... It is more application focused, is that right? But you're still an academic. Yeah, so I, yeah. I do still do a lot of basic research. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm still based in Oslo University and Oslo University mm. Hospital. But uh, the, the main goal of, of this project is to implement what we have found and what others know to actually develop the first in, in, in class pharmacological therapy against ortic well calcification and that's that's that that what i find is the most exciting is when you actually from from what you have done before for, from others knowledge mm-hmm. you can develop something that can help patients in foreseen future yeah tell me more about um aortic valve calcification because you, you mentioned it is uh, mostly in the elderly but uh, and surgery is the only intervention which now i'm I am a biologist, so heart surgery sounds d- difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm not a surgeon, I'm not a medical doctor, but heart surgery automatically sounds like <laughs> a very difficult thing. So they're looking for a, a therapeutic solution. Um, yeah, so, so yeah. Um, uh, nobody actually knows why this occultification occurs in, like, in, in a holistic way. So we know that some, tri- some triggers for that. And mostly develops with the age and it develops actually in exponential uh, uh, form okay uh, so the the more um, age population exponent the uh, case of aortic stenosis grows exponentially as well and um before it was the only option was to uh, open the open heart surgery with implantation mm-hmm. of mechanical prosthesis which is the, the prosthesis itself lasts for life. However, you have an open heart surgery yeah. with its all complications. And importantly, you have a lifelong anticoagulation therapy. Mm. So women cannot get birth. Uh, you, you, you get a bleeding a complications and so on. Mm. Uh, in the recent decade, uh, the transcatheter aortic valve implantation is gaining more and more power. It's when you implant the biological valve through transcatheter surgery. It is much better in terms of you don't need open heart surgery mm. and you don't need uh, anticoagulant therapy. Okay. The problem is these valves are also calcified and deteriorate within 10-15 years. Uh. So there is like no good solution yeah, they, they young, and, and the thing is, the younger the person, the more chances that the person will get mechanical valve. Because the biological valves are usually implanted for someone whose life expectancy is less than 15 years. Mm-hmm. So we are trying to find a pharmacological way to stop this uh, disease. And we think we found that. So what has your team developed? So we believe that we have found a class of drugs that do stop uh, our type of calcification uh, in vitro model in human cells. 
and we're in process of uh, checking this in vivo. Uh, the good thing is about these compounds is they, that they are very safe, very good tolerated over a prolonged period of time. And we hope that we can develop them on, uh, into patient phase in very near future. Cool. And in terms of leading the project, what, what is the biggest challenge that you face? Uh, I would say that the biggest challenge is that uh, I don't, don't also only lead the project. I mm -hmm. also do most of the practical work ah. and I'm doing science on the side. Mm -hmm. So the, the challenge I would say is capacity. Uh, if I would dedicate myself whole 100% to the innovation project, uh, the science will stop, which I don't want to. Uh, if I would do more science, the, the project will be delayed. So I would say that the capacity to uh, to, to do all, all at once and the amount of hands that we have uh, is, is a big challenge. And also, like, this is, even though I've been interested in innovation for quite some time, it's a very new field for me. Uh, and to follow up all the different and new aspects that are necessary and absolutely necessary to succeed in innovation is a little bit different. Although I should mention that we have a very good support here, uh, both from Spark, uh, Digital Life Norway, Oslo University, Growth House, and other organizations that are really helping. Yeah. Of course, the second build challenge, as I would bet everybody has is funded. Yes. <laughs> you so you bet this, right. <laughs> yeah. So this is, of course, a big challenge because when you when you do innovation, you need quite a lot of funding the closer you get to a patient phase, and especially in drug development. And again, everybody talks about this, but this is a gap in, in, in the funding before you reach very late milestones, and, and you need to invest a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, would you be, assuming the funding situation were addressed, would you be... Uh, interested in spinning out the project into a company and hiring people to deal with that capacity issue you mentioned? Yes, for sure. Like uh, I do really want to move this project forward, and I do believe that uh, the compound that we found is a very good fit. So in the very near future, patients may benefit from this. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds incredibly promising. Um, the last question I'm going to ask you, Arseni, and it's a question we ask every founder who comes on the uh, on the podcast, um, is there a book or a documentary that has made an impact on you in recent years that you could recommend to the uh, pre-founder and founder audience? I don't have a specific book or, or documentary for founders, but the book which influenced me a lot mm. uh, in the way that Things are usually more complicated than they seem on the first side, and that um, something that looks simple is maybe not the one you would you perceive. Was a book by 
Stanislav Lem, the Futurological Congress. And I would highly recommend it to anyone, uh, independently whether it's founder or not. I think it's a very good uh, ground for thinking and thinking through. Cool. Well, thank you for that, Arsene, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Are you a life science CEO in Europe? Go to lifescienceorg.com, where you can connect, share, and engage with a community of your peers. We have a platform just for early stage founders too. You can join there at nextgen.lifescienceorg.com.